This is episode number 219 of the Rising Man podcast with Quentin Williams. Inside of every warrior is a beating heart. Welcome back, Rising Man family. Thank you for joining me again today, for lending me your ears for the next hour or so. My name is Jedi Azuma, and I'm honored to be back here behind the mic for another episode of the Rising Man podcast. It's coming up soon, guys. We're just about a month away from Dojo, our four-day self-mastery and body leadership training. If you're lucky, there may still be some seeds for you. It's happening September 15th to the 18th. So go to risingman.org slash dojo today to register and reserve your seat. I'm telling you guys, this was an amazing workshop. We did it for the first time in this format earlier this year in April, and it was incredible. So I know this one's going to be even better. We're doing it right here in Austin, Texas. So come on down to Texas, grab some barbecue, and come work in the dojo with us. All right, today's guest is Quentin Q. Williams. He's a men's coach for current and retired athletes, bringing clarity, brotherhood, and accountability to men's deepest mission after sport. As the creator of the world-class method, Q is a leading authority on male athlete mental wellness. Q was a two-sport athlete at Northwestern, where he holds a master's degree in sports management and became a Gator Bowl champion. Q has spoken on countless podcasts, facilitated international men's groups, and filled venues for live events across San Diego County. He serves as an official provider for the Pro Football Hall of Fame Behavioral Health, among many of his other accolades. In this episode, Q and I discuss reclaiming and redefining what the word man means, why we need to take responsibility for asserting who we are in the world so we don't expect people to know us. The pressure that we experience when performing and high-profile athletes and competitors and how that affects them and impacts them over time. We spoke about the gladiator mindset in the modern athlete and how we can access a healthy, competitive mindset once again. Last but not least, we talked about the number one obstacle that professional athletes encounter. This and so much more, but without further ado, Q Williams. All right, Rising Man family, got another great man joining me here today, Q Williams, coming in live from San Diego, California. Hey, what's up, my bro? What's up, Jenny? So pumped for this, man. Heck yeah, we finally made it happen, man. I appreciate your tenacity. You know, people don't know behind the scenes is that my whole life has been in a cyclone the past few months, and you stuck around, man. You made it through all the challenges and scheduling obstacles, so thanks for hanging in there, man. Yeah, man, you did too. You're, you're settled in Austin for the most part, and I'm excited for you too. Awesome, brother. Well, a big shout out to Jose Alejandro, who put us together and introduced us here. So shout out to Jose, man. I'm going to jump right into it. It's in the interest of time and ask you the question I start off with for everybody. And that yeah. is, what does it mean to be a man? Oh, man, it's my favorite question. Um, man, um, I ask all the guys in my like programs and stuff like this question, but I, I'm very rarely asked it myself. Um, what it means to be a man See, I think that these days, like masculinity is going through a massive evolution and, you know, people have new definitions and new ways of being a man. And I like to hold space for that, for people to really come into their true authenticity when it comes to their manhood and like what manhood means to them. Um, for me, um, Man, I, I feel like, you know, the masculine in me wants to have direction, wants to be assertive, but also wants to have a balanced sense of masculine and feminine energy. 
I don't want to be, um, you know, the machismo version of myself constantly. I, I believe that what I'm really calling people into is a higher game of being balanced in their masculine and their feminine. I really think that's what a man truly is from my perspective. Again, that's just mine, you know, um, because, um, you know, we don't need to be um, rock solid all the time. We don't need to be, um, you know, cold emotionally. I, I believe that as men, we we want to connect. We want to be present. We want to um, share ourselves in an authentic and vulnerable way. And when we lose access to that, you know, I think it, it just leads to a lot of unhappiness, you know, and a lot of lack of fulfillment. And so, so much of my work has been like helping guys cultivate their own sense of manhood and, you know, lean into areas of manhood that they probably haven't experienced, you know, for some guys that's leaning more into their assertiveness for other guys that's leaning more into their feminine, into their emotions and in their expression. Yeah. Yeah. See, I love that response to this question. This is something that I don't think we've reviewed on the podcast in a while. So it's worth mentioning again. I've, I've come to find that there's a difference between the words man, the word masculine and the word male, that those are three oh, yeah. different things that I know when I was growing up, they all meant the same thing. You know, masculine was synonymous with man. If you weren't masculine, then you weren't seen as a man. And obviously that led to a whole litany of things. Maybe you were caught, mm -hmm. people would question your sexuality. People would right. call you soft or weak or not really a man. You're not a real man if you're not what we categorize as masculine, you know? Um, but especially these days, man, masculine, and male, that's not all the same thing necessarily. So when we ask right. this question, what does it mean to be a man? I, I, I get the same thing, man. I ask everybody this question. When I go some places, people love to ask me. For me, it's it's a very personal definition. That's why I like asking it because everyone's got a little bit of the different version of what being a man means. And it's really up to us to decide what does my version of being a man mean? And then live mm -hmm. into that. And it sounds like mm -hmm. you see it the same way. I do. It's so funny because like, I'm, um, I'm building like a little bit of a, a pod here in San Diego. I've been hosting these men's workouts for six months and I decided to finally put a name on it. Like, what is this? What does this represent? Cause I was really trying to cultivate, you know, um, that direction that's sort of like embodiment of masculinity. Um, but I didn't really want to call it like, you know, manhood or like the man crew or something like that. I actually usually shy away from using the words like man up, you know, because, Manhood is evolving. And like you said, everyone has their own definition of it. But it was interesting. I actually thought to myself, like, why don't I turn that on its head and actually call this the man up movement? Like we're, we're waking up in the morning. We're, we're manning up. We're stepping up. Um, we are um, we're moving our bodies and we each get to explore through these workouts and through the reflection we do before and after what manhood is for us. So it's about the question. It's not about the definition. It's actually about the openness and creating the space to talk about these things. Cause you're right, man. It's a confusing time for a lot of guys, <laughs> like very confusing. Um, you know, you can talk about how masculinity is being, you know, in some people's minds is all toxic. Whereas, you know, we, we need our masculinity. Everyone needs their masculinity. Um, we all need our femininity too. Um, you can talk about, you know, gender, right? Like you, you mentioned the word male, like how do we define male these days? There's a lot of different ways to go about that and approach that. And I think 
we're on the precipice of like defining moments with how we look at masculinity, male and female. And, um, you know, it's uncomfortable to talk about, but I think that the more we can, we, the more we can develop our own perspectives and see things from other perspectives that might be new to us. Yeah, I, I agree. Not only is it uncomfortable for most people to talk about, I think it's also unfamiliar. And I think there's something really important to highlight here is we do live in a day and age where there is so much freedom and creativity when it comes to how we express and articulate ourselves. So when it comes to just, just the category of gender, right? There's how many different uh, distinctions for gender exist right. these days when it comes to mm -hmm. different definitions of manhood, womanhood, you name it, right? There's so many different possibilities. It's like going to Baskin and Robbins, except we got more than 31 flavors now, right? We right. have so many different possibilities. <clears throat> so if we want to live in a society where there's that degree of freedom, and we don't want to just cluster people into one category or the other, then my opinion is that it falls on the responsibility of each individual person to fully express and articulate yourself and how you want to be received and held in, by other people. As, True. I, I think that's where a lot of people come into this with an expectation that everyone should just understand who I am without right. me telling them. And even right. before we, even before the past couple of decades, like, that, that's not that's not what we're supposed to do like you step into right. the world you you learn and discover who you are and then you communicate that to people and you embody right. that and then and then people start to recognize oh okay i see you like let's go yeah yeah and, and that that quality of being assertive you know that that doesn't come with being a man or a woman that just comes with the energy of being assertive you know that's just like that's something that um i think we should really value in today's age is you know, stating who you are, not expecting. I, I really think that like we, we can fall into um, a bit of a victim mindset where we, we expect other people to know us. You know, a lot of guys can probably relate to this. You probably talk about this a lot, right? Like um, we almost expect for people to kind of read our minds, right? Exactly. But if we don't share what's on our hearts, our emotions, for instance, or what we're currently experiencing, we don't reach out and talk about it. How is anybody supposed to know, you know, like how can you actually expect others to know or to be there for you if you don't tell them what you want? Right. Like, and that's one of the hardest things for guys. One of the other most powerful questions I was ever asked is what do you want? Q? Mm -hmm. It's like, what do I want? Most guys are never asked that. Like, what do you, what do you, you don't care what I want? You know, like no one cares. Right. Like, mm -hmm. It's not about what I want. It's about what's better for, you know, this or for them or, you know, um, and I think that's also a, a toxic trait of some masculinity is like kind of always being a servant to something right without taking care of yourself. So, well, and I would say it's, it's one of the best things that we do naturally as men is right. find ways to be of service. So I, yeah. I you know, I don't, I don't think you're saying this, but we certainly don't want to eliminate that service mindset, but yeah that can be out of balance with tending to what we actually want and, and also produce a lot of that victim mindset in the background. Because if we're not right. articulating and communicating our needs and our desires for how we want to connect, how we want to be seen, how we want to be communicated with, you name it, mm -hmm. then it creates a little bit of that, you said, that expectation, that unspoken expectation. And I see it with guys all over the place, not just I think what you're talking about is a little more general, maybe more like purpose and who I am as an individual. But even when it comes to sexual desires, right? There's so mm -hmm. many guys who never communicate what they want to their partner in the yeah. bedroom. 
And that's yeah. like a whole nother rabbit hole yeah. to go down. Like yeah. we yeah. don't talk about what we want because it's not something yeah. we're familiar with. Yeah, it, it's, it's so true, man. And um, there's this really powerful chart. It's, it's, it, di- it diagrams like personal responsibility as opposed to like victimhood, right? Like being in responsibility or being like kind of like irresponsible. And there's a part of this chart that I love that um, that talks about like, um, are other people, I don't, have to, I don't have to tell you the details actually. All you need to know is that like when we have expectations or people are responsible for us or we think someone's responsible for our perspectives or how we feel or um, how we're supposed to show up, resentment is always the outcome, mm-hmm. no matter what. Like, mm-hmm. because there's a, a, a failure to meet my expectations or I have expectations, resentment's gonna be the outcome. So, you know, there's so many different directions to take that, but how can we show up and not demand respect, but go earn it, you know, not demand understanding, but go share, you know, and work to be understood and and describe what we are experiencing or how we wanna be identified and what our version of manhood is. Um, Another thing you said, a minute ago that made me think, and I don't know if you want to go into uh, the athlete side yet, but one thing that like guys experience that I think all athletes right now, I'm a, I'm a two sport, former two sport athlete and I work with a lot of athletes is that concept of like knowing what is necessary for you balancing that with service, you know, taking care of yourself, putting your oxygen mask on first while also, you know, being of service and, you know, being a guy who's going to go out and, and, and fight the fires. Um, I think all athletes are really faced with that these days, especially it's one of the biggest topics right now you'll hear in the sports world is how do I prioritize my mental health when I'm supposed to be here for the team? I'm supposed to be here for the bigger purpose and win games and sacrifice myself. A lot of athletes are in that sacrificial conversation with themselves when they know in the back of their heads, like I gotta, I gotta put myself first at some point, you know, that's tough. It's really tough. Super tough. Well, let's use that as a good liftoff point here. Uh, yeah. I just I think about all of these instances that have been happening recently, especially in the professional sports world, where athletes are getting death threats. You know, blessings and curses of having social media. Right? We have more access and connection to these high profile people in our society than ever, and it gives people the ability to say whatever they want to these to these mm-hmm. high profile athletes, celebrities, and when when a guy is dropping a game-winning pass or missing a game-winning shot and getting death threats, or they're saying things about their family. When you actually just pluck that out of context and just hold it here for a second, when did we decide that it was appropriate to say those types of things about an individual, about their family, when they make a mistake or they they don't follow through or they have a failure? I, I think I saw one of those, I can't remember who it is, but in my mind, somebody made the connection on on Twitter. They said, man, why, how, what makes you guys think you can say these things to us as professional athletes? What if the next time that you made a mistake in your office, I showed up and said, I'm going to kill your family because <laughs> you forgot to like, you know, put the proper subject heading in your email. Right, right. You know, like, and, and just thinking about how, how much of a fantasy digital reality we live in, we've forgotten right. that we're still talking about humans here. Right. And that, that's one of the biggest struggles I've had with, with, you know, sports. I've never been like a big sports fan. I know we talked a little offline, like you're, you're a big Jets fan, right? Like I grew up in Pittsburgh where like football is king, man. Like you can't go anywhere on Sundays without seeing a Steelers jersey at the grocery store, at church. 
like everywhere. Um, but what I also witnessed was, you know, how, how beautiful that is and how beautiful it is that sports can bring people together and, and rally around a cause and do some really great things in the community. Um, it can also turn sour where people, you know, have that. If you actually break down the word fan, you know, fanhood, like it's short for fanatic. And I don't, I personally don't want to be a fanatic about anything. I want to be passionate about something, but I don't want for everything, my day, my week, my mood to hang on the success or failure of a team or something outside of me. Like that's the most disempowering thing I could think of as a man. Like, are you kidding me? Oh, that's, you know? that's, that's huge. Right. Let's just, let's just spotlight that for a second. Yeah. That's exactly what's happening. It's so unconscious. I know it, man, because like, like you mentioned, I don't know if I've even ever said this on the podcast, but I was born into being a New York Jets fan and anybody who knows the national football league, that's like one of the worst things. It used to be being a Browns fan, but now being that's a, a curse. Fan, dude. It's yeah. Like, it's like the, <laughs> it's like the hardest thing that somebody could live with. And I, I even still, I mean, I distanced myself from it for a while. Like I, I, re, I recognize that this is not healthy for me, but I, I remember what it felt like to have a really shitty Monday because my team lost. And when mm-hmm. you, when you break it down like that and I think about, okay, let's multiply that by the number of quote unquote fans there are out there right. whose emotional well being is, mm-hmm. is hanging in the balance of something that's completely out of their control. Like right. fan, we like to think as fans, we influence the outcome of a game and sure. Yeah. I mean the energy in the stadium, but apart from that, it's completely out of our control. Yeah. Right? You take that out of context and you say, okay, your day today, tomorrow Q, you're, you're either going to have a good day or a bad day based on how my workout at the gym goes. Like who's going to sign up for that? Who's going to, who's going to sign up for that? No, I'm good. <laughs> <laughs> so it's, so it's really interesting when you break it down and like, we look at it under a microscope from a different context. I love the yeah. way you said that because I, of course now, now bringing it back to the death threats, all I see in that is somebody who's so desperate for their emotional well-being because they've given all of their power and authority away to the outcome of something that's out of their control that right. I need to influence you to perform better because I'm going to feel bad if you don't do your job. Right. It's right. crazy. It's lunacy. And- it is lunacy. And then you think of all of the the gambling that's caught up in sports, fantasy sports, oh, all of the social capital that's caught up in those sorts of things. You know, the water cooler talk at work, you know, my team killed you, you know, on Sunday. Right. Like and, um, you know, that's that's why I think that men's work is so powerful. Not that we shouldn't talk about beer and sports, but like, let's cut it out once in a while and actually get down to like the real game of life, which is like what we're really here to do, you know? And unfortunately I think that sports can serve for a lot of guys, whether you're playing it or whether you're just watching it as a fan can actually serve as like a bit of a numbing, you know, Mm -hmm. uh, outlet, right. Uh, A way for us to actually avoid what's really important. Right. Mm -hmm. Uh, So sports is just one way outlet that we, that we numb. It could be beer and sports. It could be sex and sports. It could be all three, you know, but I think, um, that's why I always say like my, my groups are meant to cut out the beer and sports and get real, get present because we don't do that often enough. Often we're kind of distracted, you know, by these external things that we cling on to that don't come from us, you know, 
you didn't have anything to do with the Jets, you know, losing all those games, right, Jenny? It's not your fault, Jenny. Like, it's not your fault. Thank you, Q. I thought it was my fault all along. I thought it was me. Thank you. You, just, you healed me. Like, and I, like, just because I grew up in Pittsburgh does not make me a better person. Actually, I was supposed to be a Browns fan. The first game I watched when I was, like, three years old was a Browns game and, like, a Cleveland Indians game. I was born in Youngstown, Ohio. So, technically... Technically, I was destined to be a terrible person and a Cleveland Browns fan, you know, but like, come on, like, why do we hang our hats on those things so much? Well, identity is important, right? I think it's, you know, it's, I don't want to throw the baby out with the bathwater. Like you, you you alluded to it already. It it is a beautiful thing when professional sports can inspire people to rally around something together. You know, one of the things that stands out completely in a different realm is 9-11, right? I grew up right outside New York City and uh, very close. I mean, I I saw the towers burning outside of my bedroom window uh, when I was Mm -hmm. a kid. And so to have something, a common shared experience that people can rally around is really empowering. It's just, how are we doing that? Right. What are we choosing to rally around and how are we rallying around those things? I think is an important question. And we could probably talk about that all day long, but I actually want to pivot the conversation a little bit because for people who heard it in your intro, and like you mentioned before, you're, you're a former two sport athlete, you work with retired, with current and retired athletes. And the way I think about this is okay. Modern sports is really just an evolution of combat to one yeah. one degree or another, right? Um, and there's evidence of uh, tribal competitions and not, not all of combat was, was lethal, by the way. Sometimes there was competition that resolved conflicts that didn't mean it wasn't a bloodbath, right? Mm-hmm. If you go back, there's plenty of evidence of that. Sure. But really, we can go back to the gladiator days where, where you know, these men and women, but let's just talk about men for a second, were literally fighting for their lives. They were enslaved or captured or, you know, sometimes they were paying off a debt by putting their mm-hmm. lives on the line. And obviously there's a lot of years and evolution to get to where we are now, but the same mindset is there, right? Like it's yeah. like show no fear, show no weakness, because if you do in a combat setting, if you show fear, if you show weakness, that's the ultimate stake It's your life, right? right? Your right. life, your freedom, whatever that might be. And mm-hmm. I don't think that that mentality has been completely reconciled. So I think of the modern athlete as like, there's this connection going back to gladiator days. And I mean, you would know better than I would. That's just my assessment from the outside looking in. It's true. And you know, you know, the last kind of touch on the last topic, I think this actually feeds in pretty well because I think fans actually want to see competition. We love seeing people go at it, you know, and compete and fight to the death. Right. And that does go back, you know, to gladiator days and before, um, but I think, you know, when you talk about the gladiator in, you know, the man, the, re- the arena or the woman, right. But you think of, um, and actually I, I gotta say, Jenny, like that sentiment never really, it never really made sense to me, like showing weakness, like, so if you actually ask some of the most like more prominent mental performance coaches, like why never show weakness? Like there's actually a lot of value to not show weakness but it, it actually has a different meaning than most people think. So yes, you don't want to show weakness. You don't want to show where you're vulnerable in a situation and someone can take advantage of you, right? Like think of, think of a battle. You don't want to 
show that you don't have, you know, a platoon over here in the corner of your territory where you're now vulnerable, right? You don't want to show that and wave, you know, wave a flag and say, we're not here. Come attack us, right? Mm -hmm. That's obvious, though. That's not really vulnerability. That's a little bit different. And I think, um, like, or true weakness, I think that we had to take it out of this, like, physical realm and talk about it mentally. When I was in sports, like, and like I said about mental performance, like, it's more about what I'm embodying and what I feel in my soul as to not show weakness. Because if I'm showing weakness, if I'm like, that's one of the biggest things we, we were told as athletes is like, don't bend over and like breathe heavy and like show that you are tired. It wasn't necessarily to show the other team that you're tired and therefore they should like hurry up and snap the ball and like, you know, attack you, attack, attack, because they see you're tired. It's, it's, that's not even the point. The point is actually more that you're telling yourself right now, I need to bend over and catch my breath. And I need to do that. And therefore, I'm telling myself psychologically that I'm weak right now. And so it, it has way more to do with the self-talk and the self-embodiment of power than it does anything else. Mm. Um, and, uh, you know, I mean, we, we could probably dive into this more, but like that, that's my current like frame of reference around this topic. I, I think it's, it, it's important to distinguish that, you know, it's not necessarily about weakness. It's more about like who you feel you're, you're showing up as and, you know, not embodying a weak posture because that just tells your mind that you're weak. Well, you know? yeah, what, what I hear in that is ultimately at the end of the day, you are your own worst enemy. I am my own worst enemy. Mm -hmm. and the greatest obstacle or challenge I can overcome is within myself. So, uh, yeah. so I, that's what I hear in it. And I'm curious because since you're here and you have this background and access to athletes, what is this conversation of the traditional machismo that and, and locker room culture that existed? Yeah. Do you see that transforming? Is Is this new generation of athlete where they're talking about their mental health publicly and they're prioritizing mental health, oftentimes at the critique of the media and, and society. Mm -hmm. uh, but are you seeing a shift there? Is that, are, is there enough momentum that is starting to change this culture that we're, that we've been used to? Yeah. I mean, you, you spoke into it earlier, right? Like, you know, the idea of, um, you know, not being fully masculine in a locker room when I was playing, that was totally the case. Like you, you would still hear, you know, um, you know, homosexual slurs being thrown around the, the locker room still. And like people would be, you know, ostracized if like they, they were injured or hurt or had a concussion or too many concussions and they gave up their sport. Like there were guys in the locker room that would like make fun of people like that. Mm. And it, it was, it made me sick to my stomach. Cause I was like, I was, I was way more sensitive and attuned to that. I was like, that's messed up, you know? Um, and I think we've evolved, but quite, quite obviously, like not fully, you know, I don't know if we ever fully evolved from that. Um, I think there's always going to be dark sides of our masculinity that, you know, think that vulnerability isn't okay or mental health is, you know, woo woo or stuff, whatever. Um, but you, you do still have like, you know, some people like Stephen A. Smith or, or people, you know, on the Jumbotron that, that still don't really understand what mental health is or really what's important when it comes to that. Um, but when I talk to athletes these days, like they're craving this information, they're craving an example and more examples um, 
you know, like Kyrie Irving or like, you know, someone like me, a former player that talks about this stuff um, because they don't want to feel alone in their struggles. And what happens is, you know, I think a lot of men in the hyper masculine you know, container will look at um, mental health and say, oh, don't talk about your emotions because that means you're identifying with it or like it's going to it's going to take over you. You know, like once you say you're sad or you're depressed, then that's that's who you are. But it's quite the opposite, actually. It's it's you don't have to identify with it. You just identify it and then you let it move through your body. You process it in different ways and you step up, you know, you step into a new version of yourself. And without that identification, you can't have the rest of those processes. You lose access to grow and you stunt your growth, actually, by not addressing those things. Mm. So I think the narrative is shifting. And thankfully, there are some cool resources out there these days for athletes. But more and more athletes really want this. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's great to hear, man. I just think of Simone Biles at, yeah, at the Olympics. That was like a huge headline. Um I think, yeah. uh, is it Naomi Osaka, the, the tennis player mm-hmm. who also stepped out? And obviously those are yep. two women, but there's also been a number of examples. I think of, um, I think of some examples, but a number of high profile athletes in the NBA talking about yep. mental health and suicidal mm-hmm. thoughts and these things. It's, I, I think as we've seen in the, in the celebrity world or the performance world, the entertainment world, including athletics, the, the, the changes and transformations still take a long time. It's still, right. it takes a long time. I mean, for, for people to migrate away from just the idea of conventional television is still taking a while. Like people who no, still have really television no. sets and like cable TV, just in the industries like that, they take a long time to change. But like I said, obviously there's evidence of this happening. It's, it's, it's also good to hear that from someone like yourself, who's a little bit closer to the pulse of it. I'm, I'm still deeply fascinated by just the mentality of, of athletes. Let's just talk about athletes. Cause basically when you look at it, we're putting high value, high social and societal value on an individual human's ability to do something really well at an elite level, at, a, at an ultimate, like 1% of the 1% level. Right. If you can dunk a basketball, if you can, you know, run a 40 and under four three, you are worth like your, your body and your ability to do that is worth 10, 11 figure sums. Right. Mm-hmm. In some cases. Mm-hmm. And so what does that do to humans in, in, in your experience? I mean, I know oh, you yeah. were you know, at the collegiate level, but it just the, the idea of that my body and my ability to perform and use my body it, it holds, holds more value than these other parts of me. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's the number one thing that I come up against with, um, with athletes. I'm working with a former, um, NFL right now and, you know, guys don't realize it, but when, when their career ends, like they still have a lot of their identity caught up in their sport and what they can do. Um, and you probably talk about this a lot. Um, I sure do. Like, there's a difference between doing and being like we aren't human doings. We're human beings. Um, what we do stems from who we are. And so I, I really like the number one thing that I help athletes do is come back to who they are, not their records or their achievements. Most athletes will start to introduce themselves as like, Hey, you know, I, I played for so-and-so team. I went to this school. Um, I'm from this place, for instance, like I'm from Cleveland. I'm from wherever. Um, but then you actually ask them like, okay, 
tell us who you are without mentioning sports or mentioning any sort of like accolades or you know nouns what if you just what if you didn't use news nouns when you described yourself mm-hmm. you actually just use descriptors and that is really hard at first for a lot of people sure. um especially athletes because you know if you really think about it the sports world you're used to um and this this happens in the real world too I'll, we have other examples of it you have measurable levels of success it's very clear that you know whoever has you know seven or eight sacks or 10 sacks in a season you're going to be the season leader you know right like you're going to break a record at your school if you get this many tackles um, or if you throw this many touchdowns there are records out there to break and there's success to be had that's measurable and in the real world you can see that as you know financial success that's the easiest one to look at but let's look at like really what what that leads to when you're only focused on the measurables um, and the tangible things, um, does life really work out where you're actually happy at the end of the day? I've talked to a lot of athletes that get on that podium. Um, I have a, a, I work with a former All-American track runner. And like when he got on that podium as an All-American, it was like, huh, this is cool, but it's not what I thought it would be. You know, right. it doesn't feel like, the, like, like what it was all chopped up to be. And um, that's why I separate, I really help guys separate what they do with who they are and come into those more descriptor words like, um, you know, at, at your core, how do you describe yourself? For me, I come down to, I call it a triple crown. Um, so it's just three simple words that I use to describe myself and my highest level of being and like who I'm striving to be every day. And these are the three words that help me get out of bed. They help me be my best and they help me deliver the most impact, right? But it can't start with what I do. It has to start with who I am. So my three words are joyful, adventurous, and responsible. When I stay like honed in on those three things, do things that are joyful, things that light me up and choose joy every day, I show up with adventure and I show up, you know, trying to be creative and trying to be um, outside of the box and take life as an adventure as, as exciting. And then I'm also responsible in that. And I'm, I, I not only take personal responsibility for everything that I, I show up to, but I also, um, you know, I, I, I'm responsible in the way that I approach my mindset, right? Mm-hmm. Um, that sets me up for success. And I really help athletes come back to like those three words or whatever their, you know, their simple focused version of themselves is. And what's cool about that is like, once you know that you can go anywhere and do anything, you know, it doesn't matter whether you have a sports background or, you know, you're on, on a field still, or you're in the business world or you're an entrepreneur. I, I can take that wherever I go. That was my identity as an athlete, quite honestly, like that was my identity, mm-hmm. but I can take that with me and I can take it into entrepreneurship. I can take it into my relationships, you know? Sure. Sure. And I, you know, I've, I've seen something similar with uh, veterans. Um, you know, military veterans and servicemen and women, that there's a similar identity, which I think there's, there's often a lot of parallels between sports and athletics, especially at the professional levels and collegiate levels and military service, because they basically strip away your identity for the sake of team, because in order to Mm -hmm. accomplish something as a collection of people, you got to be all be on board together. And if any, you know, it's kind of like the, the annihilation of the ego in service to the greater whole, the greater organism that we are. So it's right. interesting how, I mean, cause that let's bring it all the way back to hunting parties, right? If I'm out mm-hmm. for the glory of the kill and I'm prioritizing my ego in being the one who makes the kill, I'm going to sabotage the whole hunting mission. And at, right. at that point, the, the well being of our whole community is at stake. Right. My right. family, your family, all of our families eating. 
Mm-hmm. And so again, I, I always go back and, and just take a, a review of how have humans done this over the course of time and where did mm-hmm. we start to go astray? You know, we, we still put these, you know, life or life or death stakes on championships, right. On this, on the Super Bowl, right. on who wins the big mm-hmm. game. And it's not the same as when we're going out hunting to feed our families. But the, the, I think the, the problem is, is that the, the mentality, the mindset hasn't fully caught up with what we're actually talking about. And, and there's athletes who get criticized for talking about their brand and their career beyond sports like that. They actually get knocked right. for that because they're like, well, you're not committed right. enough to the team or the sport. And it's like, well, what do you want us to do here? Right. You know? <laughs> right. No, I, I actually, I talk about that a lot. Like um, I find that actually focusing on life beyond sports, you actually show up more present when you're in your sport. Um, I, I think when you're hyper-focused and hyper-grippy on like where you're going and what your outcome is and, you know, you all have all your eggs in one basket, that can be fun, but it's actually really nerve-wracking because there's a lot of pressure on that one situation to go right and to go a specific way. And, um, you know, I, I mean, I was a two-sport athlete, so I, I diversified a little bit, right? And then I also tried to go to a good school and diversified in that route, um, but not a lot of athletes think about that. Um, something you said about, um, the hunting thing really struck a nerve with me because it's really interesting. I love that you brought that up. Um, because the way that I, I see it, um, in team sports and in the hunt, you know, if everyone's just focused on like, you know, being the all time leading tackler on the team or throwing the most touchdown passes or catching the most touchdown passes, then no one's going to ever get anywhere. You're never going to kill that animal and feed your family and feed the, the, you know, the tribe. Um, but what's interesting is I think there's a parallel. Um, I told you I might bring up this quiz that I have. Um, it's called the athlete archetype quiz. And the reason I created this thing is because I believe that everyone in sports has, well, everyone in real life has an archetype that shows up also in sports. It shows up in um, a hunt, for instance. And that's because there's different roles on the field. There's different roles in the hunt that are necessary. And I'm not going to act like I'm some like hunting guru, Mm -hmm. but like there's got to be someone kind of leading the charge. There's got to be a shot caller. You know, there's, there's someone who takes arguably the most responsibility over the success of the hunt and communicates and is effective in that communication. Um, that's the person that takes the most ownership and the most responsibility um, when it comes to the hunt. And that also shows up on the football field. That's the quarterback. That's the middle linebacker. That's the free safety, right? Um, it's the captains. Um, but then you also have people that, you know, need to lead from the sides that need to be kind of like the jack of all trades, someone that can show up like a tight end on the field or like the defensive end, the outside linebacker that can kind of do a little bit of everything. Um, and insert themselves wherever they need to be, right? You need that in combat. You need that in football. You need that in a hunt. You need that kind of person to rely on um, that can do everything. And then you also need people that are more specialized, mm-hmm. that you know are the offensive linemen, that are more of the guardians, that are more of the protectors in certain situations. And, and you can count on them to get their job done. And then sometimes you need a playmaker. So th- those are like the, the four like categories I see. Like right. um, it's almost like you need a sniper out in combat once in a while. So that's like your more specialized person, someone like a wide receiver or like a running back, right? Um, so I think we have these archetypes in sports and in a hunt and just in real life. And we, we need to know where we fit and where we meld best and what our qualities 
um, bring to the table. Um, Cause if we don't, you know, we're living out of alignment and we're trying to lead when we should be not necessarily following. I don't really believe in following, but I mean like being led, you know, surrendering when we need to, um, you know, you gotta, you gotta know. It's so cool, man. I love that you have that quiz and that survey. And in a moment here, we'll wrap up and you can tell everybody where to go check this, the resources out that you have. Uh, one thing came into my mind as you were saying that I was just thinking about well, one of the most, one of the most important distinctions in any sport is who's the MVP, right? Who's the most valuable player. And even right. just the, the, the psychology around, okay, this one person holds more value than anybody else in the sport right now. Yes. <laughs> and, and, and then just the contrast of that with the six man award, right? In basketball, where it's, it's highlighting someone who is not typically recognized, but is being seen as, Hey, without you doing your job, the rest of this team isn't doing as well as we do. So, right. I, I, I mean, obviously there's so many little pieces here that we could jump into and just the psychology of these awards right. and prestige that we put, but there's something about that conversation of value. And we, what I heard and what you said about former athletes and even servicemen and women is needing to identify, well, what is that value that I provide when my athletic career, right. my sports career, my performance career is over, what value, what other value do I bring? to society. And and some people find that value in raising a family. Some people find that value in entrepreneurial ventures. Some people find that value in community service. And it's when people don't find that value, that's where things can start to get dark. And um, Mm -hmm. I'm so grateful for guys like you who are leading that charge and being that voice for athletes out there. Cause there's a lot of stories, man. There's a lot of stories that we could sit here all day long and review the, the dark and road of a former athlete, former service men and women too. Right. And, you know, on the flip side of that coin, I love that you said all that. The flip side is also there's so much opportunity. Like think of how how powerful of like leaders there are in the military, how powerful of leaders there are in sport that if they translate those skills and that archetype into the real world. Actually, there's a really cool stat. 95% of our Fortune 500 CEOs are retired athletes in some fashion. Some people exaggerate and say they're were, they were college athletes. No, they just played sports. Like they, they get the idea of team sports and how you fit yourself into the meld, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and I really, you know, I'm not saying everyone needs to be a Fortune 500 CEO. That's not the point. Um, but I think that there's a leadership opportunity that we have with these individuals that have a sports background, like let's go change the world, you know, like let's, let's lead with our hearts as men, let's show up um, as our own version of masculinity and, you know, take the bull by the horn with love, you know? I love that, man. Uh, That's a great, that's a great bookmark for this conversation. Obviously I think we could keep going for a while, but I want to make sure I respect your timeline. Um, Let me hit you with a few lightning questions and then we can wrap up with you telling everybody where to find you. All right, let's do it. All right. So first one, what's one thing you wish you knew when you were 18? Oh man. Uh, that I'm more than my sport and that I'm, I'm worthy of anything I want. Awesome. And what do you, cause think I say most? so. I love it. What is the most yeah. important value to have as a man? Um, dignity. 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 What is the one thing the world needs more or less of from men right now? Hmm. The world needs more of your heart. Yeah. 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 Q, man, it's been an honor to have you on here. Why don't you tell everybody where they can go to find you, connect with you, and what opportunities there are for people who want to get to know what you're up to. Yeah, thanks, Jay. This has been a blast, man. Um, 
So I'm pretty pretty big on Instagram. I can I, I show out videos all the time. So Q Williams double underscore on Instagram, as well as TikTok. Um, if you go to if you're curious about that quiz, uh, check out my the website athletearchetype.com. That's athletearchetype.com, and you can take the quiz, get get your results, and you know hopefully that that result and that quiz will help you see where you fit, you know, in the real world and where you fit and what kind of value you bring to the table. Um, not by what you do or where you've been, but really just who you are. I love it. Q. Great message for everybody athlete yeah. or not. Um, honored to have him here, man. I look forward to seeing what you continue to create and supporting those athletes out there and everything you do. Uh, good luck with everything, man. And look forward to having you on, having you on here again sometime. Likewise, man. Thank you. All right, everybody, make sure you swing over to risingman.org to get the info on all the links and resources, everything we talked about here on the podcast in the show notes. It's right there on the page, as, as is every episode every single week. So go check it out. Also, while you're there, make sure you swing over to risingman.org slash dojo. Get yourself registered if you can still grab a seat because it's going to be incredible. September 15th to the 18th right here in Austin, Texas. Come on down. Let's go to work. Please subscribe to the podcast. Subscribe to the YouTube channel, youtube.com slash the rising man movement. Give us a follow on Instagram at rising man movement. Shout us out. Send you a message. Hit you back with that love and all of that good Insta stuff that we do. Big shout outs to all you guys out there again. As always, thank you so much for tuning in. Thank you to my leadership team. Thank you for the production team. Thank you for team. Thank you for teamwork. All of you guys out there, everything that you're doing, the big to the small, up and down the ladder, everybody who's participating in this movement, much love to every one of you. Until next time, rise up and claim your destiny.